So a $600 pension 10, 15 years ago won't buy much of anything here today. And why the millennial generation is starting to give up because they can't afford to get a, a good job or own a house. A million Venezuelans voting uh, for this assembly saying it's actually less than three. It is. And people are going to start rioting in the streets. Was reported to have asked Putin for military support that would help him stay in power. We will make America safe again. And yes, together, we will make America great again. And they ignore him. And eight more years goes by till Bernie himself finally admits to his sons, hey, I've been running a Ponzi scheme. Does its dominance mean it can use the alliance for its own ends? Since 1981, bond yields, also known as coupon rates, have just gone down and down and down. The reserve note will be your biggest financial liability. All right, RTD Live Talk, afternoon stream. Excited to have a guest join us today to talk about a book in regards to a, a topic that I think everyone uh, was, is probably concerned with or will be concerned with one day in their, in their lives. And so I want to give it a minute before I go to my next screen to welcome our guests, welcome everybody who's tuning in. I tried to last night remind everybody to tune in at 1.30 today so that they can have some questions ready for our guests. But more importantly, for those that are watching, there's a number, 313-462-0027. You can give us a call as well and ask questions directly or share some thoughts on the concept of retirement. And uh, we're going to go from there. So let me welcome a couple people into the chat. And as always, if we have any new viewers, let us know where you're watching from. I'll definitely love to acknowledge your presence. And then we go from there. So unfortunately, it says my chat has not popped up. <laughs> always something, boy, I tell you. <laughs> but we're going to have fun with it. All right, so we got low blood pressure watching us. Who else is watching us thus far? Low blood pressure. Yeah, he's from he's from Texas at that. It says that uh, we got uh, Kamitha watching. We got Lemonhead watching. We got Scott Robinson, Leslie watching. Okay, yeah. so, yeah. Texas. Is that again? I said I love Texas. Yeah, said there was a Texas from, from Corpus Christi, Texas. Okay, so let's get right to it. We're going to not jump, beat the bush. So it, today I'm excited to have a returning guest, Mr. Daniel Amaduri, uh, founder of FutureMoneyTrends.com and the author of a new book that we're going to be touching on. So I gave everybody a heads up. You guys can see from the thumb art as well. But the book here, Don't Save for Retirement. So, Daniel, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me on, Mike. Well, I appreciate you taking time to join us. And so, as I mentioned, the subject of retirement is something we're all going to be confronted with at some point of our lives, no matter whether you're freshly out of college, being told to get into and start saving for retirement, or if you're at the latter end of your working life about to enter retirement and you're concerned about the markets and how it will impact your possible payouts one day, everyone's going to be confronted with it. So, retirement, let's talk about that. What made you decide to write the book, Don't Save for Retirement? You know, I, the the original reason to write the book was I was doing the trust and the will for my uh, my estate, and I just wanted to make sure everything was right with my kids, and everything was. But then I was like, well, but they don't know all these things about economics that my wife and I know, and we learned uh, with personal finance on our own journey. So we started this book called Nothing, really, just writing a book, kind of an instruction manual for the kids, and it turned into, hey, here's my advice you don't save for retirement. Mm -hmm. And it was because not only is the retirement, the conventional retirement, uh, a proven failed experiment uh, with the, some perhaps the good intentions, very good intentions for people trying to help them plan out a life and a, a financial life cycle for them for themselves. But really, if you look at the baby boomers, they had the best stock market, they had the best real estate market, they had the best bond market, 
I mean, they really had the best setup of any generation. And according to Vanguard, uh, accounts, the 401k accounts that are 65 and older, median accounts is $58,000. That's nothing for retirement. That really isn't a retirement plan. Yeah. And now with pensions uh, changes and people living longer, I really think a better advice would be to, you know what, let's scrap this experiment that is relatively new, by the way. The 401k, you know, not that old, just since the 80s, as far as its implementation. And let's focus on what the wealthy do. What are the wealthy investing? Are the wealthy speculating? Are they deferring everything for 40 years before they start enjoying it? Or are they focusing on preservation and income? And that's what the book's about. It's focused on, if you're not going to save for retirement, here's what to do. And so it's a combination of my life, my wife and I's journey, as well as what we did and what we're doing right now. Okay, understandable. I completely agree with that. So, and so before we get into some solutions and strategies or whatnot that you that you highlight towards the back of the book, I want to highlight the problems because we could be talking to people out here from a variety of ages, age ranges, and of course. The show is called Rethinking a Dollar. So a lot of people don't believe that the dollar is going to be going anywhere anytime soon. And it will always be a value. And so uh, I want to touch on retirement more because I read an article just recently from, I think it was from a, a report done by Charles Schwab saying that uh, the average person needs 1.7, 2 point, it's two numbers. I'll give you two numbers. It's 2 point something, 2.7 million to retire comfortably, whatever that means. And then there was a survey done amongst the public as to how much they think they would need uh, from a, a thousand people were surveyed. They said 1.7 million would be a, you know something that people should shoot for for a number. Now my question is 1.7, 2.7, whatever's in between, will a number be will, will a number suffice for the concept of retirement? It's such a fugazi thing, right? Like you know, for some people they might not be comfortable till they have five million in assets or ten million or one million. I'll be honest with you, I had cut my expenses down so low that I could have declared financial dependence with roughly, let's say, $350,000, $400,000 of investments uh, in the passive income. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, 300000 I could have done it. I, I, I hear people all the time, actually, read a lot of articles, and millennials are doing it on with $600,000 investments. It's a combination of cutting those expenses. And I'm not talking about a permanent minimalist lifestyle. Unless your plan is like, hey, I want to retire at 30 years old. Okay, then you may, outside of you know making a real lucky bet in the stock market or something, you probably will be living a combination of a minimalist lifestyle uh, with passive income. And that's fine if that's what you want. But for the book, Don't Save for Retirement, which, by the way, for your readers, uh, we set up a page at futuremoneytrends.com slash save. They can actually read the intro and the first chapter. And the intro is with me and my wife at a bankruptcy attorney's office. And the reason I started there... I wanted to start where I was rock bottom and to show everybody, look, I, I dug myself out of this hole and became independent uh, of, of, of a job, independent of whatever, you know, waking up whenever I want. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to show people, like, look, you can do this. Um, but as far as what amount, I think that mindset is a, is a scarcity mindset, as if you're going to save this big pile and then you're going you're gonna to kill your active income. And then at 65 years old, you're going to start drawing chunks of money from your savings that you've been doing for 30, 40 years. I don't think that's uh, a realistic scenario, and I think it, it creates a scarcity mentality because you, you become fearful. But mm -hmm. if you condition the mind and, and, and discipline your life and do a passive income life, you'll, you'll not live like that. You know, I go to the mailbox every day, and I'm always curious and always kind of expecting what check came in the mail. Uh, <laughs> when I log into my checking account, I'm always scrolling through looking for the ACHs. And, you know, I've gotten into such a habit of buying things that pay me income. Mm -hmm. It's almost on a daily basis now where I've got ACHs or some sort of check coming in the mail. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, I, and that's <laughs> that's a, a good feeling to have more uh, excitement to run to your mailbox because you're going to get something good as opposed to going to the mailbox with, damn, I owe them, I owe that. So, <laughs> all right, so I want to get in some questions and definitely dive into more into the book. So if you guys have questions, feel free to ask directly because as Daniel was sharing information, if you got some thoughts on it, definitely highlight uh, it, it for us. And so in regards to, I guess, the the the, the, the now, the dialing back aspect, not necessarily retiring, but financially having some options to where you're free to choose as opposed to being forced to go A, B, C, D. Some people are talking about here, you know, different types of assets that they can hold for savings. Some say gold, silver, cattle, and then they're throwing out numbers there. And so let's talk about, you know, some some assets that produce income that you're referring to. Some examples, if you don't mind, that people can, younger or older, can probably start getting involved with just diversify a little bit. Absolutely. So look, everybody knows on this show uh, that gold is an important part of anyone's portfolio or anyone's life. It is the real money. And especially in times of uncertainty where all this devaluation is going on all around the world, you obviously want to own some physical gold and some gold related asset investments. Maybe they pay income or not like dividend paying stocks like Franklin, Nevada. But I would I would, you know, separate stocks and gold because gold is gold. It's money. Stocks, now you're adding management risk and on company risk and stock market risk itself. So that is the gold portion of, of savings. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to assets that pay you, the easiest place to go, the low-hanging fruit is in real estate. Uh, real estate, single family homes, you can buy with leverage. So you can control a hundred thousand dollar asset with twenty thousand uh, dollars. if you're like, hey, I don't even have a penny to my name, I mean I, it'll be I'll be lucky if I can save a hundred dollars a month. Um, you, you should be looking at like more crowdfunded uh, investments. Now, it's new to the general public, but it's very important for everybody to understand. Things like Fundrise or Pure Street, these have been around for a long time, but they were only available to accredited investors who were investing through a hedge fund or, or a private client like with, with Chase or some sort of institution. And all you're doing, you're making your money the same way the banks and insurance companies do. Um, so imagine a, a, a publicly traded REIT, but this one's a private REIT, and you get usually a very safe and stable dividend. They usually distribute about 90% of the profits. And it's, it's important to um, understand that you know even though you lose the leverage, you're also upgrading the assets. Because let's be real, when I buy a single family house, I'm buying a C to a B plus type property. Mm-hmm. When I participate with a crowdfunded institution that's raised 50 to $150 million, we're buying parts of the JW Marriott and uh, a golf course and you know Walgreens uh, buildings or a Costco uh, uh, building. So you're actually upgrading the quality. So it's it's also more stable income. I mean, there's one read out there that only rents to government uh, agencies like the IRS. Now we can say all we want about the dollar bill, but I don't think the IRS or the Federal Reserve is going to default on their debt when they can just you know create the money. But um, so. That, that's the low-hanging fruit is real estate. And then you can get in all sorts of things like whole life dividend policies. A lot of people hate them because they're focused on the life insurance aspect. But if you if you read the things that Robert Kiyosaki has put out at Rich Dad Poor Dad or some of the other Austrian economists, uh, they, will, they sh- actually show you that how you can use the same dollar twice. Uh, you, you know, and that kind of goes down a, a complicated rabbit hole, so yeah. probably best not to s- discuss on a short interview, but definitely something worth investigating and something the rich have been doing for a long, long time. In fact, some of the richest people and richest institutions are piled into these type of investments. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, another one out there is, is just lending. 
You know, this is uh, goes back to, to, to the basics of banking. And there are a lot of different opportunities now just to loan money out, personal loans through agencies and groups that do all the vetting. You know, they make sure the borrowers are making 75,000 plus a year, the credit score is 680, they do the collections. Companies like Lending Club have been very successful. Mm -hmm. And, and they work. And the best thing about some of these companies like Lending Club or Prosper, they actually went through the 2008 crisis, which was good because right from the get-go, from their birth, they had to go through hell. Hmm. And that taught the CEOs and the management. They have those deep, deep scars. Yeah. So if you read like the horror stories, I bet you the horror stories you're reading like from 07, 08, 09. But when you read the what's happening recently, it's actually been very successful because obviously they had to optimize it extreme. Uh, to make this work, which is great. And it works a lot that way for a lot of us who are listening and talking right now. You know, we went through 2008. We're probably not, you know, going to borrow up to our eyeballs to buy 20 homes tomorrow mm -hmm. because it was such a deep, painful lesson. So I think companies themselves are in, are in good places uh, and any of these companies you invest with, and they're all in the book, uh, you can experience cash flow immediately. Right, right. I understand. I appreciate you sharing that. Now, you know, as you're describing different methods and different ways and different opportunities out there, it ultimately boils down to education. It sounds like because you're throwing out things that a lot of people may not have heard about, and the processes, as you mentioned, you know, two for one, turning two dollars and using it twice, using one dollar twice or whatever, how that is. So that requires education, and so you put education within your book. So you took time to tell your personal story as well as to, you know, you could create this for your children's future. So this is a book. That you know, say 10, 15 years from now, we'd be able to pull off the shelf like possibly like a rich dad, poor dad, or or a think and grow rich type of book to where it still is valid education wise. Now, share with us a little bit, you know, the educational things that you've acquired throughout the years outside of your experiences. Because of course, you got to learn through the hard way, but yet you also got some knowledge to do whatever. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, part of it is is just you have to recondition the mind. The middle class has been sold. Yeah. All right. I apologize for that. So <laughs> middle, the middle class has been conditioned to speculate. So yeah. you buy a 401k, you're speculating that it's hopefully going to be up when it's time to retire. Mm -hmm. You're also speculating on the tax. You don't even know what your tax withdrawal is going to be in a 401k. Yeah. Taxes are the lowest they've been in, in since 1931, income taxes. Mm -hmm. And we're assuming that they're going to be lower in 20 years with everything that's going on around the world and exploding entitlements and you know, endless wars. Yeah. I don't think so. So it's that the best education is just taking yourself out of that speculator mindset and moving it into an income mindset, a cash flow mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I have in my house, I've written in for the kids only invest in things that cash flow. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it just took a lot of that learning and, and understanding what the rich are doing. And the, you know, one of the reasons why the rich focus on preserving and income is because they're already rich. They don't feel like there's a gun to their head. They're not in a rush to get rich. Mm -hmm. The middle class often feels rushed. But what I learned through my own experience and journey is that if you cut your spending for a short time, I'm not talking about 10 years, I'm like one to two years, you cut spending deep, really cut spending so that you can get as much money invested into passive income as possible. What you'll find is that it quickly snowballs on itself and it becomes a lifestyle change and a change in your mindset. Your investments go from, oh, I'm gonna send them off uh, for 30 years and we'll meet in heaven together, uh, to, to, hey, uh, a check just came in the mail. It's about the same size as this bill, so I'm gonna use it to pay this bill. Or, hey, this check came in the mail and I'll use it to buy more income because this was too much fun. Or the check yeah. came in the mail and, you know what, let's go to, uh, let's go to Roos Chris Reddy V's tonight and just enjoy a nice steak. Yeah. 
uh, like that. Now, so we missed a call. So the person, so somebody was calling in, and I wasn't able to get to it because I didn't want to cut you off at the beginning of my question. So in the future, call in, and I'll definitely get you on here, and we can go from there. So I want to go to the chat a little bit and see what else is out there. It says, uh, the question from Low Blood Pressure is, why would a company pay anything to a private lender when bank interest at an all-time low? Yeah, so if you're doing a personal loan at Chase Bank or a credit card, people are still regularly paying between 8 and 16%. And of course, if they're late, even more so. So what L Lending Club is competing for the personal loan business, not necessarily the credit card business. Mm -hmm. And what oftentimes happens if somebody's even late one time, uh, the, the credit interest is, is triggered and it'll go straight to 26%. So if you can apply at Lending Club, show them that you have two years of stable income. Typically, I think it's it's more than $75,000 a year. Uh, they have a 680 FICO score, which is a pretty good credit score. Uh, they could take all those credit cards that have triggered themselves to 26% because perhaps there was a mistake or something 11 months ago, and they can refinance it into a Lending Club loan that might be around 10 12 11 you know, 13% right around that area. So you're receiving a higher interest rate. Uh, but that borrower is able to refinance perhaps several things. Uh, so that's that's why you use that's why I like Lending Club. Now on another one called Peer Street, I like it even more. Now if you're gonna get a lower return, you're gonna get about seven percent yield. You could get you know up to ten, but let's call it seven. And that is asset backed. So you're actually owning uh, you know, let's say a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars in a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage and the home might be worth eight hundred thousand. So you can set it up to where, hey, I'm only willing to loan money to people who have this much equity, and I, you know, perhaps you only want to buy in, in the California market or Florida market or wherever, uh, but you can participate in mortgages. And I like that one a little better because it's obviously a, an asset-backed uh, loan. Okay, sounds good. So we do have a call. Let's find out uh, someone's there. Hello, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is Mitch. I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mitch from Tulsa, Oklahoma. How you doing, Mitch? What what question do you have yeah. for Mr. Daniel? Yep, go ahead. What question do you have for Sorry, Daniel? Sorry, phone's cutting out. I think I can hear you better now. Yep, go ahead. What question do you have for Daniel? There. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Hello. Go ahead. Technology, Daniel. <laughs> Something else, isn't it? Hello, you still there? All right. So give us a call back, and we'll definitely get you on. So I said call was lost. Yeah, so today has not been my greatest day, but <laughs> we're going to work it out. We're going to work it out. So let's move right along. So let's get towards some of the, the middle contents of the book. Give us, give us a couple nuggets out of the book that people really should be paying attention to after they get the book and really apply it like right away. Oh. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, Dan. That was for you. <laughs> well, I you down to the caller. Yeah, I okay. canceled because I asked another question again. Sorry. But I got you. I got you. Go ahead. <laughs> the easiest thing to do and to start is to cut spending. Mm -hmm. And I take a lot of heat for this because when I, my wife and I, now imagine our mindset, 2009, world's falling off a cliff, just had a newborn baby. Mm -hmm. We're wrecked financially, foreclosures left and right, short sales. We got squatters, people moving inside of our our uh, properties we were trying to flip, it was a disaster. Mm -hmm. We needed to cut spending. My wife was a passionate mother, she wanted to quit her job. So I mean, to me as a man, I was like, man, it's 2009, world's going over a cliff, we just had a baby, wife wants to quit her job, and I just destroyed myself in real estate. So 
uh, we started cutting spending, and I, and I would Google that, and you'd, it'd be like, switch your credit card, transfer your checking account, and save $15 a month, or stop drinking coffees. I'm like, this is nuts. Mm -hmm. I need to save real money. So the first thing we did is I moved out of my area, and LA County moved far. I moved to the desert, and we saved about 50% on our housing expenses. Then we stopped going out to eat. We stopped you know, eating meat, crazy things. The craziest thing, I take so much heat for this, but I wish people would just understand the mindset. We had dogs with, with vet bills that were about $150 a month or more, mm -hmm. and I gave them to a, a wonderful family that could take them in and love them. But for some reason, everybody, like, the comments are horrible usually when I tell people that, but, you know, just keep in mind, it all compounded on itself, and collectively, we were able to save enough money that she was able to quit her job, which was difficult in itself because she was a teacher, and that's a very safe job, especially in California. And so she quit her job. She was able to be with our son, who was, who was an infant, full-time. And that was one thing we did. We cut, just cutting spending. Uh, she sold her wedding ring, paid off our cars. Mm -hmm. I mean, we did everything it took to cut the spending. And then with all the excess that eventually came from that, we, as we paid off debt, we were able to start investing and buying income. And it was small at first. At first, it was just like, hey, we, we, you know, we made $47 this month cool it'll it'll pay the water bill let's keep buying more income and then eventually it was like you know $250 and then it just kept growing and then it kept compounding because at that point we were debt free now and and so once it snowballed and you know within three and a half years we were able to say hey we're financially independent now bare bones our passive income was able to pay for life for basic lifestyle groceries utility bills housing needs now that was basic financial independence but of course, it kept snowballing because we kept the lifestyle where it was and the income kept growing. And eventually, around 2015, we were able to say, okay, now we're you know very comfortably wealthy mm -hmm. and we can perhaps start to live this life uh, that we, we want and we can start to travel more and, and, and enjoy our stuff. But um, you know, it, it really was a, it, it happened a lot faster than I thought it could be done. And I think it's got to be a combination of the spouses and really just declaring that you're going to start. I always tell people this whole time. You go to a college campus and ask some person, what are you going to be? They'll say, oh, I'm studying the liberal arts. I'm going to be a teacher. Or, hey, I'm, uh, I'm studying in law. I'm going to be a lawyer. But you ask somebody who wants to become financially independent or wealthy, it's almost like they're embarrassed to publicly declare it. But it's important. If you plan to become financially independent, own it. When people ask you, say, yeah, no, I'm becoming financially independent. Can you go out to dinner tonight or you want to help chip in for a wine party? Then no, no, actually, I can't. Oh, well, are you just poor or do you need help? No, 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 I don't need any of that. I'm, I'm actually becoming financially independent. I want to be able to retire when I'm 40 or have the option or 35, whatever. Um, so just own it, declare it, do it. Yeah. Okay, so we do have a caller. Let's see if we can get this going officially. Appreciate you being patient. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, sorry, I got disconnected. It's Mitch from Tulsa. All right, Mitch from Tulsa. Okay, we got you here. So what's your thoughts or question for Daniel? Yeah, so I'm I'm 31. Um, I've never bought in the whole 401k thing for retirement, and especially recently, you know, as I've learned more about the Fed, and I just, I feel like something's gonna go down soon. So it's like all these people are gonna lose literally everything or most of what they saved for. So, what would you recommend for a younger person? Um, obviously, metals, but you know. Through a paradigm shift, what would you recommend? Well, you know, I two two weeks ago I was in Hiroshima, and I uh, I was in a beautiful bustling city. It's it was hard to believe that a, a, a bomb had been dropped on it, 
Uh, it looked a lot better than a lot of cities in America. And I know Germany is one of the most uh, economically strong countries in Europe, which, you know, tallest midget in the room, but still they're the strongest in Europe. And they had been, you know, absolutely devastated after World War II as well. And then you look at uh, countries um, that have gone through other, other styles of collapse, like uh, the Soviet Union, for example. So one thing I've learned is that no matter how bad it looks for the global economy or the United States, their, their life will go on. Life will move on. Humanity will continue to consume things. They will continue to want to eat and, and have improved lifestyles. So, you know, I believe we should prepare for an imminent crisis uh, in the next one to ten years. I think there's definitely going to be a global monetary reset. But aside from that, I think you definitely want to own uh, a higher quality of assets. And that's one of the reasons why I do enjoy purchasing some open stocks on the uh, that that are in in the dow jones now most people are like oh, that's crazy but you have to keep in mind it, it the dollar is in danger not um mcdonald's and chevron uh, so these companies will be repriced in whatever that currency of choice is and even if it's dollars i mean realistically the, the we could see an economic collapse in the dow at 150,000 because if the currency is crashing it doesn't necessarily make Coca-Cola uh, not a great company. Or, for example, one of our favorite stocks is Kimberly Clark. We joke about it because it's a toilet paper company, but it's beating all of our gold picks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's toilet paper. You know, they control who's are we going to stop yeah. buying toilet papers? But I think just remember when you buy things, buy high quality things that produce income. Uh, and, you know, they will weather you through the collapse. I'll tell you, in 2008, when I had one duplex, I, we were able to save. It collapsed 50% in value and the rents all went up because all these foreclosed homeowners came flooding into the renter market. So we don't know how things are going to play out, but we do know whether you look at Zimbabwe, Argentina, recent collapses, typically those who hold real estate have done really well. And of course, you definitely want to own some gold because the type of collapse that you and I are probably both thinking about isn't just a single country crisis. If the dollar has a crisis, it's going to be a global crisis. Um, I don't know how it's going to play out. I used to think that I could make that kind of forecast, but who knows? Maybe on the eve of the dollar collapse, they back the currency or peg the currency to gold. Or on the eve of a dollar crisis, there's some sort of uh, new alliance between the Europeans and, and America. Or perhaps the Chinese and the Americans. You know, nobody really – it's always the unknown unknowns that we're, we're not factoring in. But, you know, one thing no one's talked about uh, at all is that Trump is being tough on China, but he's also developed a personal relationship uh, with them. And who knows, maybe, maybe they're, maybe, you know, I don't know if, if anybody's listening to this who's traveled, you go to Europe, Europe is dying. That is not the ally we want to marry on. Look, if you're gonna, if, we're, if the United States wants to stay in the game and be the superpower of the world for the next hundred years, we need to be marrying all these countries in Asia. Europe is behind us. Those people are without tourism, Europe is dead. Well, Carl, I appreciate you calling and sharing your thoughts. Anything else you want to share? Yeah, appreciate it. All right, have a good one. Yeah, go. one more thing. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, would, so you, you mentioned gold. What about silver? Uh, I know oh. that gold is like king's money and uh, silver is like, you know, the citizens. Uh, what's your view on silver, uh, you know, in a collapse? It's a great question. So gold I consider to be the true money and not really an investment. It's a safety play, and it's a, it's a prudent thing to do to have a store of value, the fruits of your labor in gold. Uh, and gold, if it doubled, it's not gonna change your life, right? Now, the gold mining shares would go ballistic if it doubled, but it, gold itself is more of a safe place. Silver, 
uh, is still a precious metal, but it's also an industrial metal. So on an, on the investment side, I think silver is a 10-bagger. It, it's going to go up 10x. It's going to go well over $100 an ounce um, at some point in time because of the supply and, and uh, demand situation. It's, it's had an annual deficit for the last four years. There's less above-ground available silver than there is gold because silver is consumed. Gold is taken from one hole and put into another hole. So uh, yeah. when you consider silver as an investment, I love it. Now, during a collapse situation, I don't know. My guess is because after the 2008 collapse, silver went from 21 to 890. So everybody thinks <laughs> that's going to happen again, and it freaking never happens. If that's what we all think is going to happen, then you know silver is going from whatever it is to, to 100 bucks on the next crisis. So in my opinion, I own silver, but I own silver for different reasons than gold. Silver, I'm trying to increase my net worth and speculate. Yeah that it will do really well over the next five years here. Gold, I'm simply looking for some sort of anchor. Good stuff. Caller, I appreciate you calling in and sharing All your right. thoughts. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, so uh, that's a good explanation there. So we have someone else talks about, uh, we got Kamitha says, what about cryptocurrencies? Yeah, cryptocurrencies, uh, futuremoneytrends.com was one of the first letters to profile at $13. We also helped launch some of the first publicly traded blockchain companies. Uh, cryptocurrencies are speculative at this point. I'm a big believer in owning Bitcoin. Uh, you know, I like I, I own some Ethereum and Litecoin and Dash, but Bitcoin is is at the is the center piece for my for my crypto portfolio, and uh, I highly recommend it. But I think people should just keep it small right now. Uh, now, if you're an enthusiast and you understand it and you 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 love this type of stuff, then I would go all in because this is the future. Uh, this is going to be something uh, that you know you're already seeing with Facebook and JP Morgan, other central banks, countries. Absolutely, if you can make money from the blockchain uh, by actually participating in its growth, then do it. But if you're just like me and you're like, look, I'm an outsider who just wants to have some exposure. Perhaps you're using it to speculate, or perhaps you're using it for uh, uh, currency diversification. You know, put one to five percent of your portfolio into some cryptocurrency. You can either buy it, um, you know, through one of these exchanges. But like, if you're super, super simple, or like Dan, Dan, I've listened to this for nine years. I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, you can go to Robinhood or, or a Coin, a Coinbase. Uh, it's not the most the Bitcoin enthusiast will not like that that answer. But it is a very simple way to have exposure if if you don't know what you're doing. All right. So another question in regards to cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, I'm not sure any particular projects or whatever. But yet, what's the chance that you know the 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 tokens? Tokenizing, using current cryptocurrency to tokenize things as a part of the future and looking for opportunities of that nature because we got Veritasium with Reggie Middleton who's doing some things out there. We got a lot of other projects that are crypto-based. Are those worthy of looking into a little bit more seriously nowadays given the fact you know, the, the, the old monetary system could eventually transition to a blockchain cryptography type of ordeal itself? Yeah, and that's where I think Bitcoin becomes the king because what what happens when these altcoins are being are competing against an Amazon token or a JP Morgan token? Um, you know, they have the user base to transition. Could you imagine if Amazon? I mean, look at what Facebook's doing. So, I mean, they're going to have more information on their customer. The Catholic Church just came out with their own token and, and cryptocurrency. So, I think that is definitely going to be the trend. Uh, but I wouldn't speculate too much. I mean, honestly, owning some of the core ones like Dash and Bitcoin, I think is enough. If you wanted to expand and invest in actually some of these publicly traded companies, mm -hmm. I would just be careful because most of them are penny stocks. 
you know, even even one that I got in heavily involved in, Hive Blockchain with uh, Frank Holmes, who's like one of the best people on earth. That's a fund manager. Uh, part of U he's the CEO of U.S. Global, and um, even his stock it went from thirty cents to six seventy five Canadian, but then it crashed back down to thirty cents when Bitcoin crashed. And and today I I, I think it's only like around fifty cents. And it's a very, very simple business, just mines cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. So I would just be careful. You're speculating in this space at this point. Right. Understandable. All right. So let's get back to the book a little bit. So as we draw down towards the end, if anybody have any calls or thoughts about uh, the concept of retirement, feel free to let us know. So Don't Save for Retirement is the name of the book. And so ultimately, what do you hope and what do you want people to really take away from this? And how, how do you hope this book is received by the public? You know, I would just love for people who read it to, to, to redeclare their sovereignty and to be reminded that you don't have to live some cookie cutter life and that, that the plan they've given you, it hasn't been around for a thousand years. It hasn't even been around for 50 years. Mm. And look at the results of the baby boomers. You know, is this even worth trying to do? And will it work the same for millennials or Gen Xers who don't who aren't going to have the best stock market, best bond market, best real estate market for the next 30, 40 years? Mm. So, and, and the millennials do have a, a different opportunity though in that they're more mobile and you can start a business for $10 on GoDaddy and this is the, there's so many freelance opportunities to become independent of even a job. So I would just say when people focus on this, focus on uh, realizing their wealth, their time is finite, you know, how do they want to be able to spend their time and what are the rich doing that the poor middle class aren't. And the book does offer specifics and websites that I've used and different funds that I've participated in. And again, if, you're or if your listeners go to futuremoneytrends.com slash save, they can read the intro and the first chapter free, as well as receive my Weekly Wealth Digest, which uh, every Sunday we offer different ideas on what my wife and I are doing right now, mm -hmm. as well as what some of the uh, lessons we learned in the past. Okay, sounds good. So we have a question here, or a caller, I'm sorry. Hello, caller, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is uh, Jeff from Florida. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good, Jeff from Florida. What's your What's your question or thoughts for sure. Daniel? Hey, I, I just had a quick question, or actually a two part question. Is like one is what type of things should we be looking at as far as trying to reduce our monthly expenses, and as far as uh, you know, generating multiple streams of income? Could ask the, if he has any other ideas of what we can do to kind of look outside the box from just your typical nine to five job. I mean, should we be trying to? pick up a side gig on the weekends or what what's some other things that we could be doing all right appreciate it jeff thank you it's a great right, great two-part right. question let Bye -bye. me answer the second part first so you can you can monetize hobbies something you're passionate about if you work for a small business you might even be able to monetize your job uh, and what i mean by that is you could actually approach your employer and say look you're paying me seventy-five thousand dollars with benefits today and paying for workers comp and all these things how about i work from home or i only come in twice a week but you'll pay me a little bit less or a lot less if you want to save them money. And I'm going to be an independent uh, contractor. I'm going to be my own business. But th what that allows you to do is now go to the next small business and say the same thing. Look, uh, I'm working for XYZ. I've been working for them as an employee for five years. I've now started my own company. They decided to become my first client and I'm interested in doing services for you. So you could perhaps have four or five clients paying you less than you had as an employee, but of course you're making 250 as opposed to 60, $70,000 with benefits. So, and a lot of people get tied up in benefits. I would, I would recommend it in the book. It has some suggestions. There are a lot of great uh, nonprofits companies that are, that actually act like real insurance companies where like Christian healthcare ministries, you pay the, for the first 500 of a doctor visit, but after that they take the whole thing. It's 150 a month. 
millions and millions of small business owners use this and it's been funding and paying out billions and billions of dollars of, um, of medical claims for the last, uh, well, since 1980. So that's on the monetizing and, and getting side gigs and stuff like that uh, if you want to do active income. Uh, the book also discusses a lot of passive income. And then on the cutting side, you know, that out-of-box thinking is exactly what you need. You know, I'll tell you, I, I discuss a lot of them in the book, and my wife and I, you know, in addition to the stuff I've already mentioned, we actually got rid of our direct TV bill, which was harder back in the day because there wasn't even Netflix streaming. Now it's easy. You could actually, you know, Netflix offers three uh, users. How easy it is if you're really trying to save money to, to say, look, I'm, I'm getting rid of the TV bills. I'm going to share an account with my dad or something. You know, it's only 15 bucks anyway. But look, I'm just going to get free Netflix. Uh, you know, maybe instead of watching so much TV, I'm going to read financial books or watch, you know, interesting videos on YouTube. Um, I also, uh, you know, started walking and exercising outside as opposed to having a gym membership, which a lot of them are cheap, but a lot of this stuff starts to compound. And of course, it brought a, a lot of great bonding time uh, between my, my wife and I. We also found that there's discount uh, grocery stores uh, where if, um, you know, as opposed to shopping at the main ones, you can get discounted produce, discounted meats, all that kind of stuff. But your biggest expense you can cut right now is, is moving. Uh, you can move out of state uh, if you're in California or, or New York or, or something, and you can actually save a ton of money on taxes and lifestyle costs. Now, let's say you're a Los Angeles police officer and you work in L.A., and it's just not feasible to move out of state. Okay, well, then move move another 20 minutes uh, east. If you find yourself where you can just move and just save a little money. You know, I, I, I went from where I was raised uh, where, you know, most of my friends were buying $500,000 homes. And I moved to the desert of California, and I literally slashed my expenses by 50%. Yeah, understandable, understandable. All right, so as we draw back towards the end of our chat, uh, I want to thank you once again for joining us for a live stream and definitely giving everybody a chance to read your book, Don't Save for Retirement. I think this is going to be a very popular subject in the days ahead. And so any last thoughts or questions out there, feel free to, feel free to call in or let us know in the chat. But one of the things that I can't help but mention is that uh, – as things progress, as the recession kicks in, as there's a downturn, the educational model of, you know, go to school, get good grades, and get into the workforce will probably shift higher learning, the cost of college, things of that nature. You know, what are your thoughts on the future of that as all this unfolds and people realize they've been sold a bag of false goods? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I didn't go on a rant in the book on that one, but because uh, I was like, I don't want, I can't piss everybody off at yeah. the same time. But look, the fact of the matter is, what does college offer that isn't free? Seriously, it's all free online. They, they the old guard is completely vaporized on that one. In fact, you can even sign up for classes at Stanford and Harvard. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. And, so you have that opportunity right now. You know, unless you need some sort of government license, I don't know why anybody would go to college. Or if you really want to go, go out of the country mm -hmm. uh, where it's a lot more affordable and you'll actually get something else uh, in return, which is that experience of living abroad. It's, it's very eye-opening. Yeah. Uh, you'll learn to appreciate a lot of things in the United States. The United States is very efficient. Uh, and you'll also learn, you know, of different lifestyles. And you'll learn that, hey, you know what? I remember I used to think, like, the United States was uh, this big, bad place. You know, I'm very libertarian-minded you know, anarchist, to be perfectly honest to you. But then I'd go abroad and be like, man, I'm, I'm kind of liking the U.S. passport here right now because it's kind of, it's, it, it's, it's not always uh, the grass. We always think the grass is greener on this side, but it's not necessarily the case. I think that's one of the reasons why the dollar hasn't collapsed 
as, as early as a lot of us thought, as unsustainable as it is, mm -hmm. most of the other countries out there, especially like the major ones like the Euro, um, they're even worse than our situation. So, you know, it's, it's that goes back to being the tallest midget in the room. Uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is, but I'm, I'm not a fan of college. I have no intentions of, I tell my kids all the time, you can go if you want, but I don't know why you would. Yeah, uh, I do agree. My, uh, being a parent myself, I am in the same limelight as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. So, let's get ready to dial back. It's been great having you on the program this afternoon. Thank you for taking time with us. It's been about 40 minutes or so. We've got a couple calls in there. And so, Daniel Amaduri from FutureMoneyTrends.com, uh, send us off with a last note, last thoughts in regards to your book. Let them know where they can get it from. Again, I'm going to put some information down beneath the video as well for those that uh, might catch the replay. But leave us with some last thoughts. Yeah, you know, the last chapter, Chapter 9, I've been getting a lot of feedback. It focuses on uh, children and what we can teach them. And a lot of people said it's been helpful for adults too. You know, I would just tell this, you know, to people – uh, no matter what situation you're in, it's not, it, you, you can condition yourself and discipline yourself with good money habits, mm -hmm. and it's very liberating. Honestly, I don't do this for materialism. I don't do this for because I, I, I want to just stack money. I do this for freedom. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, making money, you're buying your freedom, but you can only buy it if you put the money in the right spot. Mm -hmm. If you put it in a seven- or eight-year auto loan and a three-decade home mortgage and a maxed-out 401K, you ain't getting free and you don't even know if you'll be free when you're 65 you have no idea yeah. so that's why it's so important to not only make the money and put it in the right place but to truly realize why in the hell am i making money anyway who wants to be a slave make the money buy your freedom be free wake up when you're done sleeping all right <laughs> i like how you put that <laughs> all right so dan Madura, it's been great having you join us on the program everybody thanks for tuning in thanks for the questions thanks for the feedback Definitely, if you found this informative, definitely go get the book. And more importantly, share this video so more people can hear about the contents of the book before they go out and buy it. And so, Daniel, thank you again for joining us. Be safe, be blessed. See everybody later. I appreciate it. Thank you.